This is Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidaru by Star Bridget. Chapter 10. The Neglected Birthday. Granger stopped speaking to Potter and Weasley after the wizard's duel, declaring them both shameless cheats. She said Potter had shamefacedly admitted to his fellow Gryffindors that he hadn't understood fist-fighting wasn't allowed. Apparently, though, Weasley had argued that Potter had the right to defend himself any way he needed, because the rules had gone out of the window with Draco's use of dark magic. A proper duel didn't include fists, but it didn't have dark magic curses either. Fair point. It wasn't like any of the Gryffindors knew what Langlock was enough to prove it. Draco should have disabused Granger of her sputtering indignation, admitted that Weasley was right that it had been dark magic he used. He had been the one to abandon so-called fair play first, when he hadn't even needed to against a first year. Or he could have told her he'd happily abandoned her as well as the Gryffindor boys to being caught by Filch when he could have warned them. But his tongue wouldn't work any better than Potter's had in the duel, much as he knew it should be driving her back towards them. It felt too good to have someone on his side. And Potter sent him a note a few days after Granger's mediation, offering a truly extraordinary apology. Draco had to keep it in one of his notebooks and pull out each time he thought of it to prove to himself it was real. Dear Draco, I'm sorry I cheated in our duel. I really didn't understand the rules, but it's no excuse. I shouldn't have challenged you to a duel in the first place. I thought you had been trying to get me expelled during flying lessons, but that's no excuse either. I know I keep making excuses, but I want you to understand. I shouldn't have said about Ollivanders to Ron and Hermione. After we met at Ollivanders, I had hoped we could be friends at Hogwarts, but I understand if you wouldn't want that now. By the way, Ron says sorry too, if you weren't really trying to get me expelled. If you weren't, and you just wanted to play Quidditch with me, I'm extra sorry. I would really like for us to play Quidditch together again sometime if you wanted. You're really good at it. Sincerely, Harry Potter. Draco was going to keep that repentant little letter till the day he died. When he showed Granger the boy's peace offering, she still harumphed but looked more mollified. On her part, she told him some ridiculous story about the three of them fleeing from Filch and finding some three-headed dog, which Draco wouldn't have believed if it wasn't Potter and friends. After a week had passed since the duel, though, she had gone quiet and resentful after her Gryffindor classes again even with them working in the library on an essay for Transfiguration, one of her favourite subjects. It's just that it happens to be my birthday, she whispered, failing to keep a hurt note out of her voice. And no one, not even my parents, seems to have noticed. Draco frowned. Aren't your parents muggles? Would they even know how to send owls? Oh, they don't, and I told them not to try, just it doesn't matter, Hermione hissed, looking as if it mattered a great deal. And when she slammed, a beginner's guide to transfiguration shut with excessive force and began to shove books into her bag. Draco followed his instinct to do the same and walk out with her, curiosity spurring him on. I'm going back to Gryffindor Tower. It was as good as a dismissal, and yet Draco followed. What? Are you mad? None of your friends got you anything. I know the weasel is poor, but Potter's got loads of galleons. Ron, 
Harry, she breathed, stopping to look at him as if he'd been confounded. Those two cheaters are intellectual inferiors. Merlin, Draco really needed to stop using that phrase in front of her. Why would they buy me a birthday present? From the sound of it, then, no, no one had. And I don't need any. It's not a big deal. So I turned twelve, so what? Twelve, not eleven. Pretty ahead in age for her year, then. That explained some of the precociousness, and why he found her a bit less mind-numbingly childish to talk to than the first-year Slytherins. Draco wished he had known that. All those times father berated him for performing worse than her. Not that father would have accepted it as an excuse. Granger was going on, working herself up into a lather against herself. And really, it's silly. We're here to study not to have parties. And the day one is born is hardly any great accomplishment. Really, it's an arbitrary choice of celebration. Her lower lip began to quiver quite mightily. It's just... No one's even told me happy birthday. Sweet Salazar, was this the greatest witch of their generation? Still, as Granger started her stomping towards Gryffindor, and Draco was left standing in the corridor, he called out after her, Happy birthday! She smiled at him weakly before she went. He didn't think about it again until dinner that night when an owl swooped in to drop a letter for him. An owl that he recognised with a sinking heart as unmistakably his father's dark, tawny Claudius. No care package either, though the sight of Draco getting owls had trained Vince and Greg to look over excitedly before they realised there were no sweets to come for them. Instead, it was just the letter written on his father's personal stationery with its Malfoy crest in green and black borders, his handwriting sharp and more jagged than usual, as if written hurriedly in anger. Draco had expected a letter like this about his escapades in flying class, but a week late at dinner was unusual and made him feel worse. And he had people staring at an owl come at the wrong meal. So he took it out of the great hall into the courtyard with long strides, sure that whatever it said he would not want to read it in anyone else's sight. Draco, your behaviour surrounding your aunt's wand, along with the untrained and unsupervised practice of dark magic before your departure for Hogwarts, was utterly unacceptable for a Malfoy. Your behaviour at Hogwarts has passed beyond unacceptable to shameful upon our name. Word has already spread of your incredible length of your sorting, but since you went to Slytherin in the end, this could be taken as one more brief aberration on your road to improvement. Since then, though, you have been late to classes, failed to participate adequately, and moreover, received a series of detentions for a Quidditch incident involving Harry Potter. Do any of these strike you as rumours befitting a Malfoy? Moreover, and far more seriously, you have alienated yourself from your classmates, ignoring the pure-blood children whom your mother painstakingly arranged for so long to be your friends and allies, and have instead taken up 
publicly befriending a Gryffindor mudblood. For you to conduct yourself in a manner so opposite to everything your family taught you is beyond the point of shame, to the point one begins to fear the madness of the black line threatening to contaminate your blood. Your mother and I expect you to immediately reconcile with your Slytherin classmates. Cease any unnecessary interaction with any individuals of questionable bloodline, and return this owl with a prompt and thorough explanation of your behaviour. Father hadn't even signed it. Such had been the peak behind the words, but there had been no need. Draco stared at the missive, re-read it, and did as he had done with so many other pieces of Malfoy stationery these past months. Tossed it in the air and lit it on fire, the wand letting out the spell before he even had to say incendio. He looked around after the impulsive deed was done. But no one had been around to notice. No one had followed him out of concern or even nosiness, as Vince and Greg would have once upon a time. Should he have expected someone to? He had preferred Potter's correspondence. He directed Claudius to wait in the owlery for him to send it back out. Oh, he would write Father an answer. Tomorrow, maybe, if he felt like it. Or the next day, whenever he had some spare time. But he had more important things to do at the moment than appeasing Voldemort's preeminent bootlicker. He had a muggle-born to find a birthday present. A cursory search of his possessions, though, uncovered nothing that immediately presented itself as a suitable, either too small or ordinary or far too grand. Not that he had any idea what to give a twelve-year-old girl anyway. He spent a lot of time contemplating and dismissing various books, surely the natural thing to give a bookworm like Granger, before retreating back behind his bed curtains to give up for the moment thinking he would have to send for something suitable, and there just wouldn't be any decent present possible on the day itself. He pressed his face into Emuji's long neck, rubbing his nose in for childish comfort, and tried to understand how exactly his life had come to the point where he was agonising about what present to send off to buy for Hermione Granger. But he was not going to give his father the satisfaction of, of falling into line and doing just as he told him. Not again. He moved his lower lip out of the way of Imuji's necklace, feeling the baby dragon tooth dig into his skin like it always did. Really, he didn't know what Aunt Andromeda had been thinking, giving him a present with such a garish decoration. A small toy's necklace, which made it about the circumference of the wrist of a twelve-year-old girl, give or take a winding or two. Draco kept a close eye on the time as he began hastily at the transfiguration, thinking he could finish it before the hour got too late. But he was nowhere near the picture in his mind by the time all the other boys were in bed. He barricaded himself behind more charms than usual, and stayed up, sitting with Emuji over the necklace turned bracelet, and his first-year transfiguration textbook which proved absolutely useless. No good, huh? He told Emuji, before firmly telling himself to stop talking to a stuffed dragon and sneaking out from his personal cocoon over to Theo's bed. Sure enough, Theo had some more advanced transfiguration texts inside his trunk, 
and it was a ridiculous surge of triumph to successfully summon the trunk to him in silence, extract the books he wanted, and slide it back in place with his wand unnoticed. He lost track of time after that, but he could hear the distant sound of birds beginning to chirp outside the stone walls before he could go out and smuggle the books back into Theo's trunk again. Once finished, the bracelet was hardly a match for the picture he'd had in his head, something like a bracelet his mother wore to formal occasions on the more arcane magical holidays, which, a house-elf had told him upon interrogation, was a gift from father on occasion of Draco's christening. His mother's had a larger, more grown dragon's tooth, sideways on the string as the point of interest rather than a sideways baby one. With a shower of diamonds between a series of black opals all along the string, embossing the top of the fang on one side like a dagger hilt. Whereas, Draco had transfigured some of the beads on Emuji's original necklace, along with wood chipped from his bed, and pieces of pipes and metal purloined from the Slytherin bathroom, into tiny crystals instead of diamonds, and African turquoises instead of the opals. But the effect of it didn't strike him as too different, not after he mottled the turquoises, and used his wand to carefully carve one to a charm like his mother's, instead of just a sphere. And turquoises were supposed to be stones that gave mental clarity, so that fit Granger. It had taken ages to find the right spells in all of Theo's books, some of it his own invention with half-remembered, half-invented combinations of old Latin roots from his childhood lessons, which somehow managed to work and not murder him. It had taken ages after that to remember the shapes of Mother's opals, but he had been seized with the irrational desire to do Mother's priceless bracelet justice, and so he put off sleep to carve at least one stone to its proper form, an intricate Kaliandra. He had not done anything as magically difficult as all this intricate transfiguration since he'd fallen through this mirror. Perhaps not even the dark curses he'd cast at the manor, but he trusted implicitly in the same explanation that always seemed to work with Muggle-born Granger. Oh, my wizard parents taught me how when I was young. Granted, he hadn't needed to make it so elaborate but somehow it didn't feel as satisfying a demonstration against father's haughty commands if the birthday present he delivered the girl the morning after father forbade him her company looked ugly or cheap. He had forgotten this was the morning Potter got his Nimbus 2000, an arrival whose news had enraged him at the time, but this was satisfying. As further proof he'd succeeded in not messing up the part that Quidditch held in Potter's destiny. He derived far more satisfaction, though, from watching father's poor old Claudius put to service delivering a simple parchment-wrapped package beside Granger's breakfast, making her head snap around wildly, before Claudius swooped off no doubt sourly back towards the owlery. Potter's long package had drawn most all of the Gryffindor attention. How anyone hadn't instantly known it a broomstick was beyond him, so no one but him was watching as Granger found her present, along with the note he'd only remembered to scribble last minute and very drowsily, Happy Twelfth, Granger. He ducked out of sight as soon as she looked up, worried she would embarrass him with either showy rejection or an excessive show of gratitude, and took the departure of Zabini to slip out of the hall between him and Vince and Greg. He didn't see her until she came up to him at their table after dinner. He was staring at a truly empty piece of parchment, wondering what on earth to write to his father, when Granger surprised him with a hissed whisper. 
Draco, may I speak with you? Draco looked up and frowned, gesturing for her to sit down. He jerked his head towards the stacks, and she just crossed her arms. Outside, she ordered, which meant he was likely in for a scene one way or another. But he was comforted at least as he followed her, by the sight of the dragon tooth bracelet glistening mottled blue on her wrist. Draco dropped his charmed bag on the grass as soon as they had finished the trek outside, blinking blearily in the excessive sunlight, his lack of sleep starting to catch up with him. She kept them walking, though, until they had reached the Quidditch stands of all places, the sun already half set in the sky. "'I thought you hated Quidditch,' he asked, bemused, and she heaved a sigh before dropping onto one of the wooden benches. "'Well, no one's on the schedule to practice today,' she said impatiently. "'So I found it a good place to go, then, for some peace and quiet away from these children.' He was a bit amused and a bit appalled that she seemed to have picked up his manner of referring to their classmates. "'And I do need to speak with you, Draco. I can't accept this.' So it was the ostentatious humility reaction to prompt this extraordinary semi-kidnapping. He would have preferred worshipful gratitude. He looked down where she had pushed her wrist forward into the glint of sunlight and had to marvel at his own craftsmanship. Why not? It's too much, she insisted, shaking her wrist emphatically. I know your family is rich, but still, this must have cost a fortune. He hadn't planned to boast about his transfiguration prowess, but if he had to... It didn't cost a thing, Granger, so you might want to reconsider any future career in magical jewel assessment. I took a necklace off a toy dragon and transfigured it. Pansy's dragon, he hastily added, so she wouldn't think he had something that childish with him. Even if it being a dragon might give it away regardless. She didn't mind. She didn't want the toy anyway, so... Granger looked astonished for a moment. You? Transfigured this? How? Are these real gemstones? Will they stay like this? Just crystal and turquoise, Draco said with false modesty. And yes, there's a charm that makes sure. But if anything, she looked less contented with that information. Then that's even more incredible, Draco. She said, looking almost misty-eyed. You went to that much trouble for me. It wasn't that much work, Draco lied, and she eyed him with a strangely regretful look. It looks like it was, and you made it yourself. That's much better than just something you spend a lot of money on in a store. It is. I'm so sorry. She took a deep breath the pink in the sunset casting a lovely glow from the crystals in her bracelet onto the wooden edge of the stands. Draco, although we have not yet known each other a month, I have come to respect your cleverness and thoughtfulness. I am so grateful for your generosity, not just of this beautiful bracelet, but of your time studying. Whatever anyone says of your family, I hope you know I see many good qualities in you, and although you say we aren't friends... I would feel privileged to some day call myself your friend, just only your friend. She bit her lip, as if dealing some fatal blow. We're still first years, and far too young to think about dating anyone. 
It's only proper we focus on our studies and Draco. I don't see you that way. I'm sorry. The speech seemed to be losing steam as she got to the meat of it. I do like you, but just as a friend. Though I know you don't want to be friends, but... What? Why are you laughing? Granger! Draco gasped out, holding his stomach from laughing so hard it was beginning to hurt. You! That's what this is! Bringing me out here! The isolated location suddenly made sense. She had thought she was being considerate, letting him down gently when no one could have to witness his embarrassment. You think I gave you that bracelet because I fancy you? Granger had gone more scarlet than a Weasley at Christmas. Well, what am I supposed to think, Draco? You say we aren't friends, but you give me this fancy jewellery and... Granger had clearly learned everything she knew about romance in books, and probably muggle ones at that. Merlin, Granger, the ideas you get in that head. Don't worry. You couldn't be safer with me, I promise. There is no chance of that ever, ever being an issue between us. I could never fancy you. Unexpectedly, rather than looking pleased to have settled this mutual misunderstanding, Granger's face crumpled. What do you mean, me? What's wrong with me? Why is it so funny to think somebody could? She looked alarmingly close to tears suddenly, though he had never actually made her cry before. Is it because I'm... He thought she might say Gryffindor, or Muggleborn. But instead, she finished desolately. Not pretty. Another sharp bark of laughter was surprised out of Draco, and she shot him the most vicious look imaginable, as if his amusement was at the expense of her supposed hideousness. What? No, Granger, it's not that at all. He laughed shaking his head at the image of the girl who took Victor Crumb to the Yule Ball, fretting after her looks. He supposed she was rather bushy-haired and buck-toothed now, but he still had in his head the memory of how pretty she would grow up to be. The need to disabuse her of her insecurity startled the truth out of him. You're a girl, that's all. She looked at him blankly. I don't fancy girls, Granger. Any of them. Still no comprehension in that usually clever face. Only boys, all right. Just blokes. I'm gay. He pulled out the talon wand to demonstrate. Bent as my wand, all right. Does that make it clear enough? He had to laugh all the harder at the bafflement on her face. He was clutching his stomach and bent over with it by the time she elbowed him in the ribs. Shh! Look! Someone's down there! Draco's laughter froze in his throat when he saw Harry Potter below them, and then up above them, kicking off the ground and soaring up on his new Nimbus 2000. Don't worry, Granger, he told her. He won't see us. We're behind the corner, in the shadow, and drew them right beside the wall of the stands. That's Harry, Granger hissed. He's been put on the Gryffindor Quidditch team as a reward for bad behaviour. Have you ever heard the like? Well, however she was taking the spontaneous revelation of Draco's sexuality, 
It wasn't keeping her from her favourite pastimes, like complaining about rule-breaking. Her words could hardly make any argument as eloquent as the sight of Potter's speed, swooping through the goalpost and then lapping around the pitch with the vigour of a killing curse hurtling towards its victim. First years aren't supposed to be allowed to play. If he gets to be seeker, then you should have a chance for Slytherin. You're just as good as he is. He wasn't. But that hot-headed show of loyalty from Granger proved her to be taking his revelation well. Even though I'm bent. Oh, I don't care about that, Granger said crossly. I know all about it. My uncle is also like that. He's got a partner who comes round, and I've read about it. It doesn't matter. You might have just said. You can see how anyone would misinterpret. Her eyes tracked Potter with resentful bullishness, as did Draco's. Watching Potter resentfully was somewhere between sleeping and casting spells in his most frequent life occupations. My father told me Uncle Gary has always known that he was born that way. Is it like that for you as well? Yeah, Draco lied, I've always known, and felt his shoulders relax, with a relief that felt surreal it was so inappropriately strong. This was actually the first person he had ever told in either timeline. Telling Theo, with a drunken blowjob, didn't really count. It was nice to be able to lie like that, imagining a version of himself that hadn't agonised and bargained with himself, and been in denial over so much of who he was. To come back to Hogwarts and reinvent Draco Malfoy from the start, as some effortless genius who just happened to know everything in the classes already, because he was just so naturally brilliant, and as some independent, confident thinker who accepted his own identity, who didn't let his father push him around, or anyone else, and didn't go out of his way to push anyone else around either, because he didn't have time. He had to study. He was going to be an unspeakable. Not pushing anyone else, that was. Unless they tried to push him first. Then he would destroy them. He wondered if that was what Potter saw of him, if not just the same annoying caricature of a Ponzi Slytherin as last time. If he actually had impressed Potter more, with the deck stacked with seven years of bonus knowledge and foreknowledge of everything to boot, or at least made Potter less likely to pity him because he knew what he saw when he looked at Potter like this, slicing through the air with the sun dropping through the horizon behind him, before responding to a call from Oliver Wood below and flying gracefully down. It didn't seem fair for anyone to be that much of a natural, to be put on a broom once or twice and magically fly like he'd spent his whole life in the air, like even the ether around them was in love with Potter and rearranged itself to suit him putting the wind at his back as the least that the Chosen One deserved. Potter was everything Draco had ever wanted to be, and give Draco a second chance, give him fifty lifetimes to try again over and over, he would never get anywhere close. Dear Mother, please inform Father that I have a different idea of what brings shame upon the Malfoy name. I would be pleased to correspond with him, should he be interested in a productive dialogue, rather than indulging rumours spread by the jealous and mediocre of Hogwarts. 
please inform father that the prolonged length of my sorting was due to the hat's difficulty in choosing which house best befit my many virtues. The hat told me, and I quote, that I was difficult to place, because I had not only the courage of Gryffindor, but the discernment and clear thought of Ravenclaw, the faith and good-heartedness of Hufflepuff, and the ruthlessness of Slytherin. After taking the time necessary to catalogue my many astonishing merits, and remarking on my great potential in any pursuit I shall take, he agreed to submit to my superior judgment and to send me, of course, to Slytherin. Please inform father that whatever he may have been told of the Quidditch incident with Harry Potter, he has been misinformed if he was not also told that Potter was the instigator of it all, due to the prompting of his friend, the blood traitor Want Ronald Weasley, who hates our family, speaks ill of father personally, and seeks our disgrace along with his entire family, perhaps to the point of spreading some of these false rumours. I can assure you, I am most well respected in Slytherin, and my classmates often look to me as an example. The Gryffindor that father speaks of is indeed a mudblood by the name of Hermione Granger. She is a rare exception that proves the rule to the general unworthiness of her foul-blooded kind. My mother and father would do well to acquaint themselves with the name, as, while you have taught me the importance of blood purity, you have also taught me of the importance of recognising an extraordinary opportunity whenever it presents itself, and seizing on it, for such may never appear again. With the exceptional discernment native to a Malfoy, I quickly deduced upon first acquaintance with the first-year Hogwarts class that Granger possesses an intellect and ambition that will lead her to prominence in the future. She is not only the brightest witch of our year, but the brightest wizard probably of all years, and quite possibly of our generation. She may be Minister of Magic some day. If you and father find this judgment precipitous or outrageous, I look forward to the passing of time to prove me correct. Rest assured... I hold no childish infatuation for this mudblood, or even friendship. Our relation is academic in nature, as she is invaluable in my studies. My priority is my studies above all else, as I must achieve exceptional results, not only as a Malfoy, but because I am going to be an unspeakable. Yours sincerely, Draco Malfoy. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidaru by Star Bridget.